This week on Punch Mountain, what happens when a man on a mission to rescue a little girl collides with the officer sworn to stop him? Would you believe the world's cutest friendship? Load, aim, and shoot because we're watching RRR. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake, and I'm joined as always by your podcast lion, the fire to my water, David Hotta. What's up, water man? How you doing, buddy? You turned me into steam, but I also put you out. Does that mean anything? Can you call me a slut? I don't, I don't know. I'm definitely not calling you a slut, David, because the movie we're going to talk about tonight is very conservative. There's not a smooch to be found. That is right. The very chaste RRR. We're doing it tonight. Uh, I don't think, you know, uh, this isn't the the mountain of romance. So uh, we're, I think we're allowed to do this one. Yeah, it's not Kiss Mountain, David. Although I, again, begging you, please let's do Kiss Mountain. <laughs> well, I've got that other podcast, Smooch Hill, that I'm doing. So I can't, I can't cross, you know? Uh, like I said, David, I'm unwilling to be a guest on that. <laughs> it's a weird turn. Physician, know, know thyself? No. Physician, heal thyself. But first, thou must know thyself. And thou must know it if they are going to be too smutty on Kiss Mount. Kiss Hill? I already forgot the name of your fake podcast. Smooch Hill. Smooch Hill. My bad, my bad, my bad. But yeah, we're doing RRR today. Uh, How are you feeling about this one going in? I enjoyed it, David. This is a very hyped movie. And for the most part, it lives up to it. Have you ever seen a Bollywood movie before, David? Well, first of all, did you like it? I did. I liked it a lot. I, I had not. This is my first one. It was never something I, I went out of my way to avoid, if that makes sense. It was just something I needed a movie like this to come along that someone puts in front of me and says, here, this is a good intro. And I've never felt like there's been a good intro. But now that I've seen this one and now that I'm doing a little more research on this one, I'm excited to to watch some more. My only question about this, and I feel like maybe I'm out of the loop on stuff. Maybe I'm just you know disconnected from the way things get promoted or hyped. Were people talking about this movie? Like, I felt like it was presented to me, like, don't let anyone tell you about this movie. Go in cold. Keep it like a secret and, and, and let it wash over you. Like, am, am I wrong in that assessment or, or was it close? No, I didn't get that vibe from this. What I saw was like some GIFs or GIFs on the internet or like little clips and like, check this movie out. This movie's nuts. Like, before I saw this movie, I saw a clip where a man running away from a CGI wolf collides with a cgi tiger maybe it was the tiger collided with the wolf but it was definitely a wolf and tiger involved but no it was like this movie's nuts check out how nuts it is check it out cool yeah I, I i was hoping that's i'm glad it's getting talked about it i'm glad i'm just on an island of my own because i was worried that like by not talking about it or by keeping it like a secret you're almost doing this movie a disservice like i was actually worried a little bit about going with the plot synopsis for this movie by going too in depth so we're, we're actually going to go in very broad strokes for this three-hour movie but like I, I wasn't sure if I had to be spoiler conscious or, or anything like that. But we're just gonna we're just gonna go with it and sell the hell out of this movie today. Yeah, this movie was a lot of fun. I definitely was worried the other way because when this movie was described to me, they're like, "Oh my god, it's about friendship. It's an action movie. You know, they're singing and dancing. It's an epic." You know, one of the things uh, from our raid episode is that movie had so many like characters and twists and turns. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of hard to follow. However, this one, it definitely pairs it down a little bit, but it's an overstuffed movie for sure. But I, I enjoyed it. But I had actually never seen a Bollywood movie before. You know, I like to go in fresh and then research afterward. There's a lot of things in this movie that, you know, left me wondering. I just didn't get, right? Because I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the genre. So I, I typed into Google, 
RRR culture? Like I just was like, I yeah. I almost like, what does the letter R mean? Like I, I'm just a complete Bollywood a dummy, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing that popped up was cultural appropriation was the suggested, uh, you know, search for this. And I was like, all right. And so I, I clicked on it. And I, so I stumbled on this article on Vox written by Ritesh Babu. And it's called RRR is an incredible action movie with seriously troubling politics. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, man. Ritesh Babu writes, and by the time the credits have finished rolling, it's hard not to see RRR as a product of the careless uppercased Hindu imagination. It's disservice and rewriting toward Beam and the Gons cannot go ignored. It's evident hierarchical view and minimization of Muslims in favor of a constructed Hindu quote unquote unity must be noted. Its ideological positioning must be taken into account and it must be considered for the troubling case this fantasy it is. God damn it, David. Can I just have an unproblematic movie once just as a treat, David, just as a treat. Because look, I'm not saying Ritesh Babu is wrong. In fact, I am willing to believe he's 100% right about this stuff. Look, something that we deal with in action movies a lot is like the jingoism, right? Because a lot of American movies are centered around the narrative of the American badass. And no, I'm not talking about <laughs> Election to Dire Kid Rock. I'm talking about that, like, you know, the unbeatable American. And it was a little bit easier to swallow back in the Cold War or if it's like World War II stuff. Something that I like about this podcast is we're able to enjoy these action movies and we're also able to talk about it. Like, you know, we're here to be entertained, but we're not going to ignore when movies are selling a false narrative or one that is you know, harmful, I guess. Who decides whether it's harmful? I don't know, man. We're just two dudes on a podcast. You don't like those, you don't like our opinions? Probably not the podcast for you. But the thing is, David, is any movie I watch, I want to like it. I'm rooting for it. And I was rooting to like this for sure. And, you know, reading this article, I thought this was a Bollywood movie. Turns out it's a Tollywood movie. Okay. You know, like it's it's from the southern part of India. I watched this on Netflix and I chose the Hindi language option with, you know, English subtitles. But apparently that's not even the actual, I mean, I'm, I'm not 100% on this. I don't think that's the actual voice recording. Oh. Because I think they speak Telugu. And again, I'm so new to all of this. I have no clue about Indian culture. I'm a complete dummy. I'm so sorry. I'm not really a, a big uh, history dude. What is the cost of that? Well, I look like an idiot when I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> but you know, but you're you're doing, you're putting in the work. And I think you're putting in more work than an average person would. And I think that's commendable because this is something that, you know, could have very easily been overlooked. But, you know, the fact that we do get to explore it and kind of dissect what exactly they mean by problematic, because it seems to me it, it could be, it comes off as problematic in the same way that, like you said, you know, to present like a Michael Bay movie and have the American flag waving, that might represent a, a narrative that maybe the audience isn't completely on board with. Like, you know, maybe there's a fine line between problematic and just not helping, you know, the same way that like, the West Wing was nowhere near problematic, but it also wasn't helping, you know? So maybe it might be something like that. Yeah, because Beam and Raju, the two main characters of this movie, they're based on real people. Like, you know, uh, those were real people in history. And But this movie obviously is like a myth. It's a legend. It's over the top. Do people watching this in India, do they know that? I mean, I'm. how does it receive? Like, if you look at history-bending movies, you know, there's a difference between, like, the untouchables painted Elliot Ness as this dude that took down Al Capone when really he did not take down Al Capone. The tax thing that took him down, tax evasion, was someone else's investigation entirely. Or you like Terrence Malick's The New World. It continues this like love story between John Smith and Pocahontas, which did not fucking exist, which kind of drives me crazy a little bit. Or is this movie more like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, where it's like, okay, I'm not actually, you know, this is not going to show up in history class. Because the thing is, like, some of these movies if people see them, they think that's how they are. The idea that Elliot Ness didn't take down Al Capone 
was uh, news to me. Yeah. I'm just going to accept being overwhelmed by all this. I'm not going to claim to be an expert on it. I'm just going to roll with it. And I'm going to tell you my honest feelings about this movie as I watched it. And that's all I can do. But I don't want to like promote this movie and it ends up being, you know, bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure, of course. Because of course. does that affect its place in the mountain? Yes, David. Like, what if we found out if uh, Prey, starring Ember Mid-Thunder, if all the profits to that uh, went to horse murdering? You know, we'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, we start bringing a chisel to the mountain and try, try chipping it off. Yeah, exactly. We, that would definitely affect its score. So, you know, we look, we want to be respectful, but we're also going to, I like that but. That's, that's such a terrible... <laughs> I believe in the human rights, but we want to be respectful. But at the same time, we're watching an action movie and we're going to view it through a lens, which hopefully people can understand is is not trying to be uh, disrespectful of political and social systems that, frankly, I got no clue about. I I completely agree. Uh, To put a little bit of a button on it, since (laughs) we haven't even gotten into the movie yet. But I, I was thinking of the alternate history a lot like the Bruce Lee interaction in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In the movie, it serves the purpose of boosting up the the tall tale, the myth of of the Brad Pitt character. Forgive me if I because I don't remember it right now. I think his name was uh, Cliff Stuntman. That's right. Cliff Stuntman. Thank you so much for that. It plays as this very, you know, it plays as this benign scene and you get it that it's meant to, to boost up Cliff Stuntman. But you also have to be mindful of the backlash of people who perceive that as a slight towards Bruce Lee, a slight towards his legacy, a misuse of him as, as a person. I think both things are true. I don't think, you know, Tarantino did that maliciously, but I think in this day and age where perception is reality, if audiences are perceiving it as a bit of a problem, then the discussion is there. And I think that's the same with this movie. I think, you know, it's a rollicking good time. It's a fucking blast. I'm rooting for it from beginning to end. But if there's an issue with it, let's get to the bottom of it. Well, David, one thing we can clear up right away are some just some frequently asked questions about this, David. Like, for example, if you type RRR, just those three letters into Google, you actually, you get a little graphic of a miniature horse chasing a miniature motorcycle. I'm not, I'm not making a joke about that. But you also get these, these are the things under the people also ask section. And so I figure we just answer these questions right away, just because obviously these are what people want to know. Let's just clear it up. So first question, Mac, was RRR nominated for Oscars? Yes, it was, David. It received a special uh, Oscar for uh, Sexiest Mustachioed Man Alive. There's a man in this movie, David, who's quite hunky. I gotta say, well-deserved. David, is RRR really a good movie? It's a great movie if we're using the other definition of great. Mac, why wasn't RRR nominated for Oscar? I just said it was, you fucking idiots. God, pay attention. David, why RRR movie has three R. <laughs> Look, we don't we don't make these up, all right? This is what it says, for real. It's just a marketing ploy, just like there's no triple X, there's no triple R, this is just a scam. Oh, uh, David, so this is not a, a, a hard R times three in terms of its content? Uh, not really. Hey, David, before we dive into an overstuffed three-hour epic about the power of friendship, let's tone it way down and talk about our friendship. I mean, look, David, we get along, but I don't need you to, like, sing a song to me or anything. You know what I mean? Can I still sing you a song? Can I not make eye contact during it? How are you doing, David? How are you doing, David Otto? I'm doing great. Oh, that's <laughs> that's the extent of it. You know, still chugging away at my project, still trying to get rid of my digital clutter. I, in addition to the streaming situation I'm finding myself in, I've also decided to take on my music collection. I found an external from our radio show days that has all the music that I stowed away thinking I'd play it on the radio one day. So about, you know, some 15,000 songs, something like that. Sure. Maybe 11,000 of them I've never heard before. So guess what I'm doing now, Mac Blake? <laughs> oh, no. I'm listening to all these songs. I've got to, well, because i got to get rid of this. Like, you know, because I'm also like playlisting them. I'm also putting them off to the side. Like, hey, if I'm ever in the mood to listen to something like this, you know, I'll just have this giant 
massive playlist. They've been sitting, you know, on this external for so long. I, I have to have some connection with it. I need to like either either connect with it or just toss it forever. But uh, yeah, so far so good. I'm 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 into the seas right now, Mac. Yeah, man. Everything I own is like a potential magic eye poster. Do you remember those things where? It's like a crazy pattern. And if you cross your eyes, it's like a 3D dinosaur. Of course. And then after you see the dinosaur, you're like, ah, this is fucking stupid. Like everything I own, it's like, I can never get rid of this. And as soon as I toss it, I was like, why, why was I Why was I so hesitant to get rid of that burned CD of Smashing Pumpkins Greatest Hits? <laughs> Not Smashing Pumpkins, Turtle Pilots Greatest Hits. Because I, I burned it at a very key time in my life. What? What? Well, it might have tracks that uh, you can't find anywhere else. You never know. Yeah, the thing is, is you can find them everywhere. That's the thing about everything. <laughs> it's everywhere. I think there was a movie about that. Oh my goodness, David, is it time to do what I think it is? Mac, it is time. We're going in. Okay, David, just a level set. Give the people the back of the box description, just so they know what, what we're getting into here. Oh, you bet I'd be happy to. Okay, so this is going to be the uh, the description from Netflix. A Netflix top 10 hit in 62 countries, this epic Indian drama was viewed for over 47 million hours globally within the first month. 2022, 187 minutes, directed by S.S. Rajamuli, rated PG-13. That sucked. First of all, we usually play a little bit of music from the movie underneath this, and we only got to hear a little bit of that fucking awesome song that was actually <laughs> nominated for an Oscar. There's a real answer there. So this is kind of what I was talking about, you know, how was this movie sold to people? This feels like it's playing it really close to the vest, and it almost feels like it's it's trying to sell you on the everybody's doing it angle instead of just selling you on the merits of the movie. So that's that's kind of where I was coming from on this. Yeah, seriously. It's somebody's like, what's the movie like? It's like, other people saw it. Why aren't you watching it? Like, oh, okay, I will. And it's also like, it reminds me how, going back to the conversation, the ongoing conversation we've had about streaming and how this stuff is just going to disappear. I remember this was the same marketing they used for Squid Game, where it was like, a hundred billion people are watching this. Can you remember a fucking minute of Squid Game? And that was just a year ago. Like, I feel so bad for this movie. It's just going to disappear within six months. I don't know. This, this thing sucks. It really, the description really does boil down to like, everyone else is jumping off a cliff. See what all the fuss is about. Okay. How does this movie start? Well, we're, this movie starts with the story with a little R capitalized. That'll come in handy in a few minutes. We open on a forest in Adilabad sometime in the 1920s during the British Raj the British control of the Indian subcontinent. We are introduced to Catherine Buxton, played by Last Crusade's Alison Duty. Holy crap. Oh my God. Time makes fools of us all. Uh, she's being tended to like she's on vacation and not invading their home. And her husband, Governor Scott Buxton, played by Volstagg the Voluminous from the Thor movies, Ray Stevenson. As we will find out, Buxton is the authoritarian governor of the Telangara and Andhra Pradesh during the British rule. As a gift, Scott Buxton buys his wife a kid. The shitty Brits abduct Molly, played by Twinkle Sharma, one of the best names in the business. They beat up her mom and return home to their palace in Delhi. We have yet to figure out who the villain is in this movie. Yeah, who is it, David? God. Can't wait to find out. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. So let's talk about this movie before it even gets into the movie, Mac. Let's talk about these opening credits. They're, they're, they're a lot uh, right away. Yeah, so the first disclaimer is like, it reads like a boilerplate uh, every part of this movie is fictional. Please don't sue us. But then it also includes like a, please don't be mad. We don't mean to offend. And it was very confusing to the point where I, I was like, oh, okay. And then look, I guess in Bollywood, they just do credits differently because we get a lot of credits here. And then we get the, uh, the little, like, I don't really call them production tiles, the little clips with the production companies. And you get some more credits. Then you get another production. I just, it's very, it's the kind of thing where 
if I did not want to watch this movie, I might be like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, I was a little, you know, when a movie goes out of its way to qualify itself so much, like, because there's also the title card where it's like, no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. All of the leopards, all of the tigers, all of the elephants, all, you know, they go through the trouble of listing the animals that were computer generated in this movie, which I found reassuring because there is a lot of animal usage in this movie. And it's, you know, it's sort of the opposite of what we talked about with Prey, where that one was like, oh man, these animals are computer generated. They're going to fuck them up. I don't know. There was something courteous about it. Like they were, they were being mindful of, of how they used animals. So that was, that was reassuring going into the movie. The way it listed all the animals, I thought that was kind of like a humble brag. Like, oh yeah, this movie's got so many crazy animals in it. Oh man, I got a kid. In the movie Frozen, Kristoff, I think is his name? Yes. Kristoff says that all men pick their nose and eat the books. And at the end of the movie, in the closing credits, it says, it has like a disclaimer, like, Kristoff does not speak for all men, which is kind of funny, which I thought that's what this was. But then there was enough real stuff in there. I was like, I don't know what to make of anything. Yeah, it's like it's almost like, all right, guys, don't get mad. But here it's like, why would you say that? One more quick credits thing. You know, the music starts over the credits and it's cool. It's just this, you know, sort of uh, verbal scatting. You know, it, it's it's awesome. Me and uh, my girlfriend, the bombshell, had made a, a, a an aside. We made a joke. It's like, oh, this is like the Indian Eminem. This is very exciting. So you can imagine our surprise when the music by credit comes up and it's M.M. Cream. So this doesn't really count as part of the movie, but I'm going to let you in. Technically, this was my first mark out moment. It was just <laughs> the level of excitement that was like, ah, M.M. Cream, this is great. It, that's I just wanted to let you know and share that with the audience. As long as the movie is enjoyable. Anyway, we finally get to the story, uh, capital R in the middle of it, and finds out the British people are being shitty, which is uh, great. We've talked about it before, David. It's just nice not to have the villains be shitty white Americans for once, you know what I mean? Because look, I get it. They're, they're bad. We're bad. The fact that it's like, yeah, fuck those Brits. Like, I get to get in on hating on them too. I love it. But yeah, this little girl, Molly, is doing a henna tattoo on, I was stunned to see that was Allison Duty because I have not seen her since Last Crusade. And that was what? 30 something years ago? Yeah, 33. Yeah, Ali, yeah. crazy. And then they're like, oh, we like her little song. Uh, Here's some money. And then one of the, the villagers, one of the gone villagers is like, she likes your daughter's song. That's why she's given the coins. And then they, they leave with the daughter and they're like, it wasn't for the song. And they're like, <laughs> they're, they thought they bought your daughter. And then the mom goes after them as they're leaving. This happens to me a lot in this movie, by the way. Just set the tone. I'll go, why isn't this happening? Oh, it is. So <laughs> the village is like, they just fucking thought they bought one of us for two shitty coins that they threw in the ground. And the mom goes after them. And I was like, why isn't the whole village going after them? And then the whole village shows up like a beat later. The governor is like, uh, get this mother off of our car. Ugh, gross. Because they view the Indians as basically subhuman. Uh, one of the British soldiers is about to shoot Molly's mom. And then Governor Buxton gets out and he's like, what are you doing? That's not a good impression of Ray Stevenson at all. It'll turn down the treble and I think you got it. So like, what are you doing there, soldier? Again, not a good impression. He's like, do you know how much this bullet is worth? And then he gives this speech, David. Do you comprehend the value of the bullet in your barrel? It was manufactured in an English factory using English metals. It crossed the seven seas in an English vessel. By the time it reached the barrel of your gun, it cost one pound. One pound sterling. And you would want to squander it on brown rubbish. Man, you want to figure out right away who the villain is? You, that speech, that, that is a clear winner. And so there's a bit of relief because they, you know, they decide not to use the bullet to kill Molly's mom. 
And I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad it's not that kind of a movie. But then they pull out this like Bam Bam style club and just smack Molly's mom over the head with it. And I was like, oh, okay, it's that kind of movie. Shit. Yeah, it was a real like slow motion clocking on the mom. My, I wrote my notes, what the fuck hit on this mom? Because <laughs> it was hard. It was really just like pounding her in the face. Yeah, clear bad guys. Uh, so from there, we'll cut to the fire with the R capitalized there. It's going to be the second one. We're at a prison outside of Delhi where an Indian revolutionary is being held and thousands are there to protest. We are introduced to A. Ramaraju, played by Ram Charan Teja. He's a no-nonsense cop who gets results, David. And he gets those results in the first action set piece we'll call, Arrest the Bastard! Because that's what the British captain says about this uh, dude who throws a rock. And I, when I say captain, I don't know. He could be like a lieutenant or, uh, you know, chip chip cheerio colonel. I don't know these British ranks. But yeah, so, you know, uh, the captain says, Arrest the Bastard and the unstoppable Raju does just that. Uh, but when promotion time comes, only the white officers get the rewards. The identity of this movie's villain still remains a mystery, Mac Blake. It's a real white mystery, David. So let's talk about this sequence. What do you think about this introduction to to Raju? It's an awesome fight, right? The choreography of the scene, like, it goes beyond fighting. Like, there's parts where the protesters, like, they all bang on the fence. And as they bang on the fence, the severely outnumbered British soldiers, they all cower together in the same motion. Or later on, Raju like makes a move and everyone reacts. So the movement on screen is definitely like it is telling the story and it's really effective. And this dude like throws a rock, right? I don't even, does he even hit anybody or is it just like hit a sign? I think he hits a sign. Yeah, I think he like hits a sign of a white guy. And it's like, you don't even. Yeah. How dare you do this to me? And so <laughs> he's like, arrest the bastard. And then it was kind of a surprise, right? Because you have these white British people. And then you see an Indian dude, a very handsome one. Golly. He's like really trying hard to arrest this dude just through a rock. And you're kind of like, uh, whose side are you on here, my man? Mac, it is tough to get me to root for a police officer in 2023. When you get introduced to Raju in this movie, you're like, oh man, I'm going to have to root for a cop. But this this movie does a really good job. You know, it establishes that this this guy has a code. And as long as you follow him along and follow his code... And especially seeing him in comparison to the white British soldiers that cower, you know, when he t when he steps up, the three white officers, you know, are with you. Know, I, I didn't see him, but they certainly had white sounding names. Uh, they get the promotion over over Raju after he just did this amazing feat. The as long as Raju and the audience have a common enemy, I can at least get on board with that and follow him for the rest of the journey. But I don't get the sense here that that's Raju's enemy. It just seems like he's really motivated. To move up the ranks. I mean, we, we find out why later, but at this point, you know, watching this dude fight and he does take on like a thousand people with just a stick. I was like, yeah, this guy rules, but fuck you, right? I mean, <laughs> kicking a lot of ass, but seems like for the wrong reason. So yeah, it's kind of a confusing scene. I mean, in this moment, for all we know, it's the introduction of another villain. For sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I'll tell you what, you mentioned it's just one guy with a stick. I mean, what are we, why are we still funding the police? You know, if it just takes one awesome super cop and a stick to do all this, I mean, we can start pawning some of those tanks that we have rolling down the streets. But it's definitely a, a fun sequence because as soon as Raju like jumps over this fence, to try to arrest the rock thrower. The rock thrower like knows what's up. <laughs> like as soon as he sees the dude clear the fence, the rock thrower's like, oh, I gotta go. <laughs> like you'd think if somebody had like a thousand other people behind him, one guy coming after him would be a joke, but he, the rock thrower knows the score. Here's the thing though. He sticks around too long. The fact that he gets caught period is him. And look, I don't blame him because you know, it feels like he turns around just to watch this whole thing happen. Like, damn, he's still going. This is badass. 
But like, I would have been gone, man. If I get a reprieve against Raju, I'm taking it. And there's definitely some fun wire work in this scene, you know, where he's jumping up, but he's jumping higher than a human could. And that right away kind of tells me that if you're like, all right, we're outside of reality here. I'm not taking it super seriously at this point, which, you know, we've just seen a terrible scene of British violence. Now we're seeing this India-born cop beating up other Indians. You know, I know they're from a specific region, so uh, I don't mean to minimize them, like, you know, by just saying they're all Indians, but I, I forget the name of the regions, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm not, like, super worried about it. Like, I'm not booing at the screen. Sure. But Raju does it, right? He finds the rock thrower. He, like, chases him up a mountain or something like this, and he manages to get him back from the throng of people outside, back behind the gate, you know, where he the rock thrower can be then arrested for, you know, like, or given a fine. But this other British soldier uh, goes like, I was scared out of me, wits, Captain. And then the the guy who said, get the bastard, he looks at Raju and he's like, yes, but he scares me more. Which I got to say, pretty cool. Pretty cool. This is a pretty cool intro for this dude. But then we cut to, it's promotion time back at this other base. And this guy who's like a, a Raju obvious badass does not get promoted. And then David, what would you what would you have done if, if you'd really worked really hard for promotion and they had obviously screwed over on it? I would have gotten a giant bag of McDonald's and I would have wolfed down that giant bag of McDonald's. Yeah, I'm either eating my feelings or I'm doing a little retail therapy. I'm punching the pillow really hard. I might even cry into it. I might even bite that pillow. Barrage, David, he's made of sterner stuff than, than uh, soy boys like me and you. What he does is he goes to the gym, right? Takes off that annoying shirt and with a, just the body of an Adonis. Uh, and he pounds a heavy bag. And I got to say, David, I'm not used to seeing a dude with that luxurious of a hair and mustache combo so ripped. Like it is, it threw me a little bit. It's like a sexy Pringles man costume. It was like, oh, I'd never quite noticed this, but golly. You know what? I, I get the sense that they're not giving him promotions just so they could watch him go work out afterwards in anger. It's like, let this never be right. And you might be like, oh, Chris Evans had like a mustache and gray man. Yeah, but he had like that tight on the sides white nationalist hair i'm talking about like thick luxurious hair and then like a, a mustache you could even twirl at the end if you wanted to good god damn it just was <laughs> the kind of virility that could get a ovulating viewer pregnant david i just again this movie should have had a warning besides no cgi animals were hurt <laughs> it's a real eye-opening movie david i see here in the notes you wrote hello officer <laughs> i sure <laughs> i i believe i said that out loud it was quite an introduction to Raju. yes uh, but first we had the story, then we had the fire, and finally the water with the R capitalized. That's going to be the third one. Mr. Edward, played by Edward Sonnenblick, is informed that a protector of the Gond people is coming to reclaim Mali. We then cut to the jungle where we are introduced to that protector, Komaram Beam, played by N.T. Ramarao Jr., credited in this movie as NTR. Beam dips his toes in the action waters, or to be more exact, pours the action blood on his bare chest, and an action set piece we'll call Jungle Run. Beam is letting himself be hunted by animals to capture them for mysterious purposes. Beam then assumes the identity of Akhtar and is off to Delhi to rescue Molly. So David, this scene begins after we get the title card of water. And this dude is talking to Edward, who I think I think we saw him earlier in the movie. I was surprised to see him like sitting in for the governor because he's dressed kind of like a butler. And I was like, why is this butler <laughs> in charge of anything? No offense to all my butlers out there. Butle on, kings. But he's like, look, here's the thing. These Gond people, right? They're simple folk. They kind of hate it when people take their children. This group has a protector. He's like a shepherd. And if there's lamb goes missing, he's going to find it. And it's like he's going to go looking for the missing lamb and we'll eventually find it. And if at that time the lamb is in the tiger's mouth, and then this guy who's very friendly up to this moment 
strikes an immediate dramatic look. And he's like, he will break its teeth, pry its jaws open. And I was like, oh, shit. And then that was my first mark out moment. Just that line of like, and if that time the lamb is in the tiger's mouth. And then just like the dramatic turn. I didn't expect it. It caught me by surprise. I loved it. Very cool. Yeah, that was an awesome little, you know, it's that sort of John Wick introduction. Where it's like, hey, a bad man's coming. You better be ready. That was, it's an awesome introduction to him as well. We meet Komaran Beam. Is he is in good shape as, uh, as Raju? No. But he's in pretty good shape, David. In fact, we get a calf close up at some point. I got to say, that's a killer calf, my man. It's hard to do, man. Yeah. Uh, he cuts a figure as well, sure. And he's definitely kind of like a little, I don't know how to put sillier looking, kind of like friendlier. Like he's not as like strikingly handsome as Raju. He just, he's got a face though. You just can't help but like, you know what I mean? There's a whimsy to him throughout the movie. There's a there's a John C. Riley quality to him. If if he ever decided to bulk up and become an action hero, this is what I feel like it would be like. And this action set piece was a lot of fun. And it does involve Beam running away from a CGI wolf. But then at some point, things get screwed up and a tiger gets on his trail. And then he's now running away from a, a, a CGI tiger. And at some point, they collide. I mentioned it earlier. And even though the animals are obvious CGI, it's still a really fun sequence. A lot of like crazy jumps and moves, and it just flows really well. And at the end, he he knocks the tiger out by throwing like a, a sleepy bomb at him. Yeah, it's just some ground up stuff. I don't know. Yeah, but knocks the tiger out. And then he grabs the tiger's head and he goes, he says something like, I'm sorry, I only, I'm only doing this to you because I need your body or something like I need you or whatever. And I was like, oh, wait, why does he need that tiger? Tiger for what? This is nothing, David. Is this movie is very skilled at delaying answers. Every time I wrote that on my notes, like, wait, why is this happening? Later on, it gets explained. And I'm like, oh, why don't I just shut up and watch the movie? That in itself was so fun. I didn't have any follow up questions. Like, I probably should have. Like, why are they doing this? But no, it was uh, it was a blast. My only, I came close to a mark out moment because there's a sequence where they've got you know a tiger in the net. The rope is starting to, you know, the rope that's holding the the net together is starting to break. So Beam is using his strength to pull the rope together and use the the hooks to 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 close the net. And the setup of it, because the the hooks are resting on a on a little stick that very easily breaks. The whole sequence is thrilling, except I can't get over that one stick. It's like that's an engineering flaw. Like you really should have thought of that before you set up the trap. You knew you were gonna end up here, so I didn't quite mark out, even though it was a very fun sequence. Well, the trap was originally set for a wolf. That's true. You're absolutely right. But did that stick look even strong enough to hold a wolf back? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, David, I, I called in our local stick spurt, Greg, to weigh in on this. And oh, I'm sorry, I'm just getting a text message. Greg took his own life. That's a shame. That is <laughs> no. A shame. Why would we introduce that? <laughs> the stigma of being a stick spurt was too much for him to bear. Collapsed under the weight of the, the ridiculousness of his own life. Heavy as the head. Now, in a surprise move by those cocky Brits, they actually take the threat of an unknown gone warrior shepherd seriously. Prim and proper sadist Lady Buxton offers a promotion to whoever brings in the mystery man alive. Raju is all about it and goes undercover as a regular everyday hunk and not an obvious cop. Meanwhile, we learn of Beam's struggles with blending in his garage mechanic, Akhtar. But Beam, a.k.a. Akhtar, is developing a plan of his own. And that plan is to get close to a friendly white lady named Jenny, played by Olivia Morris, and gain access to her palace. Her literal palace. Oh, okay. That's good to know. So, this British soldier... Looks a little like Jeb Porkins from Star Wars. Uh, he rolls up and he's like, hey, you fixed my motorcycle. Again, not a, not an accurate impression. It's like, hey, you fixed my motorcycle the other day, but now it's not working. Hey, take a look at it, you disgusting uh, subhuman who I will insult with more specific words I, that Mac doesn't remember. And so B-Make A Actar looks at it, basically like, oh, uh, you didn't turn it on, stupid, or it's in neutral or something like that. 
Yeah. The British soldier's date starts laughing at him. And so the British soldier starts like beating the shit out of, I don't know if he's beating shit out of, was it, yeah, a beam. And beam who we just saw showed not a single amount of fear in facing a tiger or, or a wolf. He's suddenly very timid. You know, he won't raise a hand in his own defense. And again, in the movie, I was like, why is he so timid? And again, they instantly answer the question, calm down, Mac. Because they're like, why didn't you uh, raise a hand to defend yourself? And he's like, look, I'm not here to defend my honor. I'm here to find to blend in and find Molly. So I have to keep my cover as a timid mechanic so no one suspects that I'm this badass uh, warrior shepherd. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. But then he and his crew, they're kind of like looking for ways into the palace. He's kind of has like a, instead of a meat cute, it's more like a beat cute. Because this dude is about to get beaten for forgetting his ID. And Jenny, this, you know, prim and proper royal lady comes up. She's like, don't beat him, please. That's um, not cool. Uh, B. Make Actar was like, this lady gets it. I'm going to, maybe she's our way in. She is nice. But he also, David, you know, when he sees her, Dreamweaver plays because he, he thinks she's quite attractive. He is smitten like a kitten to the point where he conveys with his face like, oh, man, I kind of wish that was me getting beaten so that uh, Jenny could come and save the day. Like, it's. It was a little confusing because, you know, he's saying one thing, but conveying something else, you know, he's saying the plan is to befriend Jenny, but like he wants to smooch on sight. So I, I hope he's not just using her. Is Froggy going to Corden or is Froggy uh, going to Killin? We don't know yet. So meanwhile, an undercover Raju blends in at an underground meeting by immediately calling for the assassination of Governor Scott. This draws the attention of Beam's not so bright associate Laku, played by Rahul Ramakrishna who was all too happy to lead obvious cop Raju right to beam. But Raju's cover is blown when Whitey forgets what undercover means. Laku bolts and Raju gives chase through a street festival, but at least there's a human tower being built. That was an awesome human tower, by the way. Will that will we see that human tower come back into play? Yes. I mean, it's not going to lead anyone's downfall, but it's, it's not for nothing. By the way, could not be more obvious a cop. I mean, we're we're almost getting into the Steve Buscemi, what's up, fellow teenagers, kind of like meme moment here. Because he's just like, <laughs> he's at this meeting. He could not be more like straight-laced looking. And like, what should we do? And he's like, hey, guys, what if we all commit crimes? <laughs> huh? Who's interested in a crime with me? I'm a bad guy. Urgh. And of course, Laku here, just a fucking idiot. Let's be honest with you. He's like, hey, all right, crimes. I like those because I'm a criminal. No vetting whatsoever. No like, hmm, this guy, let me let me feel this guy out over a matter of, over a series of days. No, it was like, hey, come with me. I'll show you to Crime Central. So Laku is walking Raju over to meet BMAKA Akhtar and they come across like an ID check and Laku is like, oh, I don't know what to do. And Raju's like, I'll take care of this. And so he walks up to the guard there, the British guard, and gives him ID. And he's like, look, I'm a police officer. Okay. Just say you check my ID and let me go. I'm, I'm undercover here. And then the British officer shows another officer his ID. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let him in. And then, of course, that first British officer comes back and he salutes Raju. I get, look, luck is dumb. He's not that dumb. As soon as he saw the salute, he's like, he's a cop. And then he takes off. <laughs> yeah. Way to, way, to, way to go, fellow officers. Way to ruin this uh, this lead. So then while Raju is in pursuit, suddenly a crossing train explodes, putting a young boy and his fishing boat in danger. Raju and Beam both spot the boy, then spot each other. Uh-oh, it's time for an insane action set piece we'll call. Did we just become best friends during a daring rescue? Hell yeah, they did. Without saying a word, Raju and Beam devise a plan to save the boy and look totally badass in the process. A mighty friendship is born. And from that, we vanquish the villain of this movie, 
the Iron Horse. We did it, no, Mac. No, David, no. <laughs> no? No? I don't follow. What's so, going on? We beat that train. In this action set piece, you know, Raji's like looking out over the city. I don't even remember why this train catches on fire. Bad luck. It's dripping oil. Oh, okay. There you go. Maybe it's right when it happens or right before. But <laughs> these, these these two alphas, Beam and Raji, their alpha sense is tingling. And they managed to, even though they're quite far away from each other, like lock eyes and look at each other. And I was like, damn, game recognizes game indeed. <laughs> like... These two dudes know what's up. And I thought in that moment, he was like, this is the man I'm hunting. This is who's hunting me. Like, they just know. But instead, it wasn't even that. It was just like, oh, no, this dude also rules. And so, yeah, without, wordlessly, they devise a plan. They make some hand motions that don't make any sense. They devise this, like, crazy plan to be like, you get on a horse. I'll get on a motorcycle. We'll both jump off their bridge at the same time. And it'll go around and around. And then it's just like, there's no way you guys got all that just with, like, some nods. Or if they did... It's fucking rules. And so they do save the boy, and it is awesome. And then 40 minutes and 30 seconds in this movie, boom, we get... I don't know if it's... A, is it the end of this sequence? Yes. Well, it's it's the middle, because then after the after this, we get the friendship montage where they become best buddies. Yeah. So that boom is the actual title card of this movie. RRR, Rise, Roar, Revolt. Again, over 40 minutes into this movie. Pretty great. <laughs> Pretty great to the point, and there's several times throughout this movie where I'm like, I'm full. That's a good movie. We're done. Like this was, I was, I was. If the movie had ended at 40 minutes and 30 seconds, that was a fun time. I'm happy with it. But we still got plenty of movie left to go. Yeah, and after this really fun, really insane, impossible <laughs> action set piece, Raju and BMK Actar, they are best buds. How do we know this? There's an extensive friendship montage set to music. David, your thoughts on this thing. If you're going to convey that these two people became friends immediately, this is how you have to do it. You really have to cover every base of like them having a fun time with the, the kid they rescue pulling a fish out of his shirt. God, that's so funny because <laughs> he was in the water, right? And then they found him. It just was like, oh, we got a fish in his shirt. Like it just, <laughs> is this tongue in cheek or is this supposed to be sincere? And David, here's the thing about this movie. It's nothing but sincere. Yeah. It, it's the most, it's so earnest. It's, it's charming. Like it, it's part of its charm, really. These guys, they climb the human tower. They smash the pinata. Yeah. This movie, you know, this montage manages to make me feel like these two are now suddenly best friends. It's very effective. And the song that plays, I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're getting the subtitles, what its lyrics are. And I don't know if it's a proper translation or not, but it's hilarious. Uh, Cause it's like two best friends, super friends, one from the East, one from the West, fire and ice. What happens when truth is revealed? Will it be a disaster? It's basically like describing the plot of the, like the, what's currently going on in the movie. And it's, yeah, it's, it's insane. And at some point these guys are friends, right? And so what are they doing? I mean, it, it's kind of like the, um, the montage of Naked Gun. Like, <laughs> something tells me I'm into something good. When Frank Drebin and Priscilla Presley are leaving a movie theater arm in arm and cracking up and then the camera pans up and you see it's platoon. At some point, these dudes are so in bro with each other. They're like, hey, let's race a train. Like, they just, <laughs> they're fucking nuts. It is a very cool scene. It is very long. It is very ridiculous. And it is is super fun. So, Mac, this got me thinking, though. You know, like I, like we've been talking about, this movie is kind of a tall tale. It's a very exaggerated story yep. of, of, of friendship, as it turns out. So, you know, you and I have been friends for a really long time. If we were to convey our friendship in a montage, what's going in that? Well, David, since this movie is in the business of myth-making, it would have to be a montage that reinforces our myth. In real life, David, I remember the moment where I, I was like, hey, this guy could be fun. It's when you, your former boss, we were working in the same place, 
you went up behind him and asked if you could put him in a, a half Nelson. And he goes, no. And then you go, can I sing you some Nelson? He said, yes. And you started singing him uh, some Nelson. Mm-hmm. So I guess in that moment, I also finished the lyric. And the next thing you know, it's off to the races. We slide into an arcade. We uh, get on uh, the Ninja Turtles arcade machine. We both beat it. Uh, we go to a kid's birthday party where they're playing Mario Kart. We both rule at it. You know what I mean? Just like, imagine we get a chicken sandwich and then like we eat on each end like Lady and the Tramp. Instead of kissing at the end, we just stare at each other like, just, oh man, this dude's pretty great. You know what I mean? It's, it's funny you mentioned food because I did have a thought where I was like, oh, there is actually a story that I would love to to canonize and make it the stuff of legend. And it's the time we went to Houston for the for the Cubs Astros game, and we were looking for food afterwards, and we were walking through a parking garage, and we were like, "Man, I'd kill for a pizza right about now." And a guy in a bike pulled up and sold us a pizza. That's the kind of thing a friendship montage should have is just luck falling in our lap. Uh, but yeah, I mean, any other movie, and you'd be like, "These two dudes are gonna fuck." But in this movie, it's just like, no, they are their friendship. They're just horny for friendship, man. They just they're just there for each other. Meanwhile, Raju continues canvassing the area for a Laku, but no Laku. That's offensive, Mac. Sorry. Meanwhile, Akhtar, a.k.a. Beam, encounters Jenny again and appears smitten. Being the A-plus number one friend he is, the English-speaking Raju devises a plan to sabotage Jenny's car and offers the non-English-speaking Akhtar as an escort for Jenny's market trip. Jenny and Akhtar go on a very cute market date, even though they cannot understand a word each other says. But Akhtar, a.k.a. Beam, somehow learns that Molly is staying in the palace of her uncle, Governor Scott. It's her uncle, Mac. Yeah, that's not good, but it is good for Beam, a.k.a. Akhtar, because he he wants to get some information about where Molly's being held. What'd you think about this little market date they went on? I thought this was cute as hell. It was really charming just watching them try to communicate with each other. Like, watching Beam, watching the actor... Act like he wants to say a million things to Jenny, but he has no ability to. I, I thought it was super cute. They have a you know a fun little bit where Jenny's trying to get Octar to stop calling her ma'am. You know, she's like, "Don't call me ma'am, my just Jenny." And so he thinks that's her whole name. He thinks her whole name is "Don't call me ma'am, call me Jenny." That's cute too. Uh, there's a moment where so uh, so Beam finds out that Molly is staying at the palace. So Beam. On the fly devises a plan. I'm going to get a bracelet made. I'm going to make a bracelet my goddamn self. And I'm going to give this as a gift to pass along to Molly to let her know, to give her some kind of sign. I don't know. But man, I don't know how to make jewelry. That's an awesome little skill. And yeah, again, another point in the movie where I was confused and then instantly unconfused. Because he's like, oh, I got to make her a bracelet really fast. And I was like, huh, why did he want to make her a bracelet? Maybe he was just unsatisfied with the quality of the bracelets he was seeing and he didn't want her to leave. Thinking that, you know, the, the people of this village didn't know how to make a quality bracelet. And then, of course, the bracelet had like a message on it. And so when Molly sees it, she instantly knows, oh, my God, my brother, B-Make A.A. Akhtar, is out there looking for me. And I was like, oh, okay, that's why he wanted to make the bracelet. So, again, calm down, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I got to know now! In the middle of the story, uh, raising your hand, it's like, I went to the store. Hi, I got a question. Why'd you go to the store? It's like, I'm... Gonna fucking say it. <laughs> but Beam, a.k.a. Akhtar, recounts his date to Raju, who discovers that Beam has been invited to a party at the palace. After they get cleaned up in the cutest, most wholesome bro montage ever, they arrive at the party, much to the disapproval of the dandy white men and their love of lame Euro dancing. Only one way to settle this, David, with a motherfucking dance battle. Winner determined by party rules. He who parties the longest? Rules. Okay, Mac, I think this is going to be a bit of a controversial conversation. Maybe not, I don't know. Two-part question, Mac, is dancing action? And if so, is a dance battle a fight? That's an interesting question, David. 
if it's a dance battle, then the dancing represents conflict. I am open to the idea of it being action. But for some reason, because musicals seem to exist in a separate category than action movies, I would say that dancing does not automatically equal action. David, again, I'm I'm a Bollywood newbie, right? Or Tollywood or whatever. This is kind of the thing. It's like, all right, I'm waiting for this, right? At some moment, they're going to break into a song and dance. It's, it's going to be ridiculous and over the top. Am I going to hate it? Am I going to roll my eyes? Or am I going to wait for it to be over? Or am I going to love it, David? I loved it. So action or no, this is going to be my first mark out moment. You know, the, the dancing is awesome. The sequence is really great. It's a lot of fun. But there's a moment where... You know, you could you could tell the the white dandies, the the Ben Wishaws of the world, are trying to one up Beam and Raju. But the delight on their faces, they're like standing behind Jenny, like just you know, kind of dancing and smiling while these white guys are so upset. I marked out. I did, this is so this is so charming and just won me over. This Euro racist who the other Euros are talking up. It's like he's the best dancer. When he sees the fact that Jenny is dancing with a brown skinned man, he's fucking pissed. And he's like, I'm going to show this guy up. And so he trips Beam. And then he's like, look at this person I'm going to refer to in a derogatory way. He thinks he can dance. Does he know these dances? And then he's like, the Charleston, the <laughs> Tingo. And it's just like, there's no planet on this where this is intimidating. But Raju, man, he's not going to, this is his bro getting made fun of out there. And so for some reason, uh, when Beam tripped, he knocked a serving plate into the air. I believe Raju kicks that plate onto a drum kit and then immediately starts beating out the drum for this Oscar-nominated Golden Globe-winning song whose name is Not To Not To. Rubbing that mustache, being bros, doing cute little faces. They're like, uh, here's how we fucking dance here. Not salsa, not flamenco, my brother. Do you know not to? And then they go nuts. So there's a moment where Beam kind of gets like, I don't know if it's dancing or, or spinning or something, but he kind of gets knocked over to Jenny and the other girls and they grab onto the suspenders and they say, go. Go. And then he starts dancing with the suspenders. And at that moment, the delight needle just fell off the ometer. You know what I mean? <laughs> We are in too glorious a happy moment. And damn, that was my second mark out moment for a dance fight. Hell yeah. It's infectious. There's there's another moment too where, you know, the dandy is so upset and he's mad at Raju and Raju just gives him the double thumbs up. Like, just keep dancing, you jackass. It's so fun. Yeah, but look, David, I hate to give credit to a racist European dude, but I will say... He did pick up the not to not to dance pretty quickly. Like he, he skilled. Yeah. Did he party longer than Raju and Beam, aka Akhtar? No, he did not. But he still, I got to look pretty good. As he, I mean, he's still a racist, so fuck him. But you know what I mean. But then there's a moment where Raju and Beam realize they're the only two dancers left, and then they kind of look at each other and they go, "Oh, we're competing against each other," and it's the look of just like again any other movie, and you're like, these two are knocking boots. But no, it's this movie of like. Ah, hell yeah, this friendship rules. Like, they just could not be more happy to be dancing against each other. Like, we are being honored by the competition. Or just, I don't know. It was so funny. I I love this dance sequence. It was great. I might be a Bollywood dude now, is what I'm trying to say. Very cool, very cool. But Raju also, because he's he's an ultimate bro, right? I mean, at this moment, we know he's a shitty cop who might be uh, beating up his own people for a job promotion. But he does have a, a, a heart of bro gold. 
And so he notices that Jenny's looking at Beam. And so he he fakes a knee injury so that Beam, a.k.a. Akhtar, wins the dance battle. So then after Beam, a.k.a. Akhtar, wins a dance to the death, Jenny invites Akhtar back to the palace for coffee and Sleeper Cell Beam is reactivated. Officer Raju's cop sense is activated as well when he notices the paint from a decoration on Jenny's car is the same paint from Laku's hands when they first met. Akhtar, meanwhile, has a very cute date in Jenny's dollhouse room. While he's there, he hears Molly singing, and he tracks her to a locked room and vows to rescue her soon. Meanwhile, Raju rounds up Laku. So, you know, we, we start this this chunk with the dance sequences over, and Beam is, is exhausted. He won, so what's he doing? He's getting a little ride on Raju's shoulders. Like, that's A-plus friendship right there. I, I don't... You know, Mac, we've been friends for years. I love you to death, but I don't know if I'm carrying you on my shoulders ever. That's that's friendship beyond what I can provide. Yeah, it's a little much. But, you know, look, we're not, no one's making a movie about us. But yeah, so B-Make Aoktar, he was invited by Jenny to the palace, and they continue their little courtship. But at this moment, I, it's kind of worn off a little bit because, look, they cannot communicate with each other, right? They do not speak the same language. And it, if, is it weird to be into someone who you cannot communicate with? Like, imagine if the rules were reversed here and it was a dude who wanted to hang out with this lady who they couldn't understand each other. It would feel like a little bit of like, I don't know, just objectification or something here. It's just, it's, it's odd. Yeah. It, you know, that's, that's a trope of a bygone era where the love is so strong or the, the connection between them is so strong. It can, it can withstand the, the gap of, of the language barrier. And it's like, I don't, I don't quite know if that flies anymore. It, the longer we spend with them, the weirder it feels to the point where it's like, why aren't you guys having sex yet? Like, that's the <laughs> only language that should be speaking right now. And it'd be different if you, every time you saw them together, like Jenny was learning a little bit more of Beam's language or Beam was learning a little bit more of Jenny's language. And they were kind of, you know, trying to get to more of a, a, a middle ground there. But no, they both were like, oh, we haven't studied at all. I just hope that, you know, a babble fish would be invented or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> It, it, it struck me as a little odd. But anyway, after B-Make Aktar, he sneaks out of the date with Jenny and finds Molly. Then we cut to B-Make Aktar back at his home base. And I was like, well, date's over, I guess. <laughs> like it was a weird, hard cut. <laughs> it is, I have diarrhea. I've got to go. I'm yeah. sorry. You know, meanwhile, we check in on Raju, who has got Laku, and he's he's going to, he's torturing him. We won't get to that yet. But uh, he, he finds Laku... Because of the paint, you know, like I said, there, you know, it's on a jack decoration on the back of Jenny's car. But did we see that paint on Laku, or is this just information that the movie's deciding to give us now? That's that's probably the one like hiccup I've had with this movie so far, as far as the delivery of information. I think it it was there. We just didn't see it because we didn't like pinch our screens and like zoom in on them, right? I think if yeah, if you probably zoomed in, you'd see the Laku's nails did have a little blue paint around them. But again, are are we still in Delhi at this point? It's a pretty big city. So the fact that Raju's like, wait a second, I remember a key fact about Laku, who I still cannot find. He's a painter. Does that narrow it down? I don't think that cracks the case, but he finds him pretty quick. So Beam, a.k.a. Akhtar, finds Molly. And Molly's like, oh, great, you're getting me out of here. And he's like, no, I can't. There's these metal bars. I can't break bars because I'm not a superhuman. Remember that for later. And she's heartbroken. He's like, no, I have to leave you, but I swear I'll be back. And she's like, no, take me now. And he's like, no, shut up. Shh. Like, they're going to find you. I, I can't. We cut back to Beam later. And he's at his base of operations and he's talking to, I don't know who it is, but he just refers to his mother. So an, an older, but respected lady. Beam says, don't these white women bear children? Don't they know what pain is? They took away a child and lock her in a cage. 
even if they cry once, they will understand how painful tears are. David, check out the big feelings on Beam. You know, this movie, it's ridiculous and over the top, but this is a real, like, relevant sentiment. I mean, look what's happening down at the border. You know, the uh, Trump administration uh, locked these kids in cages, and uh, the Biden administration didn't immediately let them all go, and, and you know, their detention centers still exist, and it's fucking terrible. I'll say this, it's still hard for me to care about these characters, truly care about them, in a movie this over the top. It's like caring about Bugs Bunny, you know what I mean? Like, he's gonna, he's gonna get out from under Yosemite Sam's clutches. But at the same time, when he said that thing, I was like, hell yeah, beam, right on, man. And David, I think about this all the time, and not to pull some like, oh, I got a kid card, or whatever. But having a kid, I will say that it became a fast track to empathy. Like, if you saw a person struggling on the street, David... You obviously you feel for that person and you, you know, you want to help them and you wish that life wasn't this way. But for some reason, having a kid, I just instantly view that person not only as a kid, but as my kid, and my heart is uh, destroyed. It's like I can't go outside anymore. <laughs> it just makes cruelty to children, especially unfathomable. And I, I know I'm on a real, real tangent here. Boy, I, I just didn't expect uh, Beam to drop that on me, I guess. No, it, you know, there's something there in terms of you're taking modern sentiments, you're taking modern compassion, like an action hero who has these thoughts about children, but it's also combining that with the big broad feelings of like a silent movie. You know, uh, we talked about it a little bit in the raid too, where some of the better performances were these really broad performances that transcended the language barrier. And I think that, you know, this movie is also trying to capture this. I get the sense that a lot of Bollywood is that way where, you know, it, it plays a lot like a silent movie, you know, you know, you're supposed to fall for, these big emotions. And I think in this case, we're supposed to relate to Beam. Uh, I'm just, I was surprised that it came in, in an action movie. It was, it was very welcome. Now, is the caste system in India reinforcing cruelty to children? Maybe, David, but all I know is before I had a kid, I was basically Anton Sugar. I just was a monster <laughs> living by a code that was completely fine with murdering people to accomplish my goal. And I'm childless. <laughs> Raju tortures Laku for Beam's whereabouts, but Laku's not cracking. Raju has a flashback associated with his best friend's charm bracelet, where we learn of his beloved Sita, played by Alia Bhatt, who he left four years ago to go on some goddamn mission. This mission better be important. Meanwhile, Laku uses the flashback time to capture a snake and uses it to poison Raju. Raju cuts Laku free and sets off to find a cure or die trying. Mac, this guy's been gone for four years. At what point do you stop? Like, you know, watching The Raid 2, watching The Departed, stuff like that, I'll, I'll give you nine months tops. But four years, th no thank you. Yeah, in this flashback, we see Sita, and she's, you know, looking longingly over some water like a Disney princess. And the whole village comes to be like, hey, have you heard from Raju? And I'm like, wait, why did the whole village come to ask Sita if she got a message from Ram? And what is this promise they're talking about? Mac, wait, <laughs> okay, they'll tell you. And again, Raju, he's torturing Laku at some point, but then he can't quite bring himself to torture him, that extra torture amount. And it's, he's, he stops because he's thinking about someone he loves, which is great, right? That you stop because of love, but maybe you don't start torturing someone for career advancement. Again, Mac, wait, <laughs> you're going to find out what's up. But uh, I'll tell you what, I was in the same boat. I was, you know, because this is the moment where I'm like, ooh, I don't like Raju. Why am I following him for half of this movie? Laku has a line that unlocked it for me. He says, you know, you're you're hunting Beam, but Beam is, is so much better than you. He's such a superior foe. You know, you're never going to catch him because a dog can never hunt down a tiger. 
And man, if that shouldn't be like the anti Punisher bumper sticker, like every time you see one of those on a car, you just slap a sticker that says a dog can never hunt down a tiger. But then in that moment, I'm realizing, okay, the movie knows how we, the audience are feeling. It knows that we understand the sentiment. So, okay, I'm back on board with where the movie is going to take me from here. David, you just made the strongest argument yet for a Patreon. Whereas if you join at the $5 level, you'll get a sticker. It says a dog can never hunt down a tiger in the shape of the Punisher skull logo. Yes! But you could slap on the pickup truck of some Blue Lives Matter piece of shit. But David, uh, again, this movie, you know, it feels like a myth, right? Like a legend. Like, I mean, it's easy to be like, oh, and Theseus was captured, but he caught a snake. You know, like it, it just, <laughs> even though the catching of a snake scene was a little ridiculous, it just fits, right? And also, you know, snake surprise. What a what a what a treat. But uh, you know, real quick before we leave this this sequence, you know, uh Laku grabs the snake, he uses it to poison Raju and tells him, Hey, the white man hasn't discovered a cure for this yet. You've got about an hour to live, tops. So Raju's decision in that moment is to start cutting Laku's ropes, you know, that are that are tying his hands together. And he tells him to get out of here, live your life. And I got unexpectedly emotional at that because it was this glimpse at something that could be possible where if cops in real life could just realize, hey, man, that anger that you're projecting onto the populace, it does not have to be this way. Like you can just there's got to be a way for you to chill out and understand that people are just trying to live their lives. Like, I I, I don't know. It, it caught me in a way I was not expecting. Yeah. And this scene or sequence is our first reveal, I guess, that Raju ain't all bad. Right. That he's he's got all, some mysterious possibly. Uh, benevolent motives for you know his crazy actions but yeah it's definitely a moment where there's an opportunity here for an eye for an eye because raju definitely could kill laku the guy sucks but instead he's like you know what just because i'm dying doesn't mean you have to live your life man so david we also get a reprise reprise i don't know how you say it of the song that they're playing earlier in the movie which kind of talks about the movie and i don't know about you but i felt this was like right up (laughs) our alley because when we were, you know, doing test episodes for this movie, as placeholder music, you put in the theme to Megaforce. That's right. Yes, I did. And the lyrics to Megaforce talk about the movie Megaforce. And I was like, man, it should be mandatory that every movie soundtrack has to have a song about the movie. It doesn't even have to be in the movie. It just has to be available, right? No, I would love like a song to have, you know, on a CD to play in my car and be like, yes, I'm listening to a song based off of the movie. That'd be amazing. Because I think there was a song for the Ninja Turtles movie, which basically like described the plot of the Ninja Turtles movie, which, you know, the fact that this was in the movie, I was like, did they make this for me? Like, I I was into it. Beam is going over plans with his crew to crash the gala at the palace and rescue Molly. But wait, Beam's shepherd senses Raju in trouble and finds him dying in the street. Beam concocts an antidote and saves Raju's life. But while Raju recovers in bed, Akhtar reveals who he really is and the mission he's on. He's Beam. And he's off to rescue Molly. So David Beam doesn't exactly shepherd sense Raju. What he senses is Raju's like subtle tapping on the ground, which I mean, I guess if bros are so tight, they know each other's tapping because it comes in play later in the movie as well. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a level that uh, that's a level of friendship that is very hard to attain. Yes. I mean, when we're in a store and we can't find each other, David, you'll occasionally make that one rooster sound. I will cook off. Yeah, yeah and then I know, oh, uh, David needs me. It's time to go. I better get in the back seat and buckle up so I'm safe while driving. So Beam comes to Raju's rescue. He concocts this antidote that's like, go get me some, you know, some root. Go get me a, a burning coal and go get me some water. And he like pours this, you know, concoction 
over a burning coal into Raju's mouth. And if that's me, no, thank you. I'm just going to die. But then Raju is is at home. You know, he's getting some bed rest. And Akhtar is like, hey, I want more than anything to stay with you and nurse you back to health. But I've got a bigger a bigger goal in mind. I've got a bigger mission at hand. And he's revealing to him. He's like, I am this, the son of Gons. I, I, I am Beam. And the music swell for this reveal is just fucking awesome. Like, you know, again, I know we, we keep checking the time code on this movie. And it's like, man, we've got this much movie left. Like it was kind of it was what I needed to jumpstart me for the for the second half of this movie coming up. I I enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, and as Beam reveals who he is and his real mission to Raju, he's like, "Look, I might die in this mission, man. I don't know, but I know that if I do die, it's cool because I got a fucking new best friend, and his name is Raju. And Raju, of course, can't talk because he's got the old venom tongue, right? I guess when you're bit by a snake, the last thing to heal is your ability to speak. Beam leaves, and Raju can't stop him, even though. Raju knows now that Beam is the man he's looking for. And so I guess Raju gets better. And again, he has to work out these strong emotions. So then he starts hitting the heavy bag. Look, if you're going to stop Beam, go stop him. But also, weren't you just, I don't, it was a weird, it's a weird sequence. Yeah, I think he was like testing himself. He was like, well, I don't want to make an ass of myself and walk out this door and just fall immediately. Let me go ahead, do some quick cardio, do a quick 30, shoulders and back, and then I'll be out there. Yeah, but as he was getting that cardio in, we get a couple of flashbacks and a couple like images. We don't know what's going on. Uh-oh, David, someone named Raju has got a mysterious backstory. So the palace, right? The governor's palace. They're having a big old celebration for Governor Scott. I don't know why. It's his birthday. Who gives a shit? But Beam arrives with some animal friends to kick ass and chew human necks. It's an action set piece we'll call the mauling brawl to end the mall. It looks like nothing could stop Beam, but uh-oh, by God, that's Raju's cop music. Raju's here, and he's revealing that he's a cop to the heartbroken Beam. After a bitter fight, Beam, a.k.a. Akhtar, surrenders. I think it's hard to tell at that point because the screen turned into a weird Mortal Kombat image. You know what I'm talking about? Like the hands? Okay. But anyway, uh, boom, it's intermission. That's right, David. This movie knows that you need a break. This sequence is awesome. This is the centerpiece of the movie. This is the the sequence that everybody is talking about this is gonna be my second mark out moment i called this sequence and out come the wolves or malice at the palace it's it's phenomenal so david if you remember the beginning of the movie when beam catches a tiger he's like uh i need to use you my friend and i'm like what does he need that tiger for it's for this because when beam arrives he opens up some cages to cause some chaos david he doesn't just have the one tiger this it's uh, matt damon and we caught a zoo Right, he's got all these animals are so CGI'd. Of course, Beam also makes an insane, awesome pose, holding two torches when he's jumping at the same animals. Look at that reveal of an entire zoo army. Yeah, of course I marked out, David. If I don't mark, it's like, did you mark out at that? I got two eyes and a heart, don't I? Of course I fucking marked out, David. Then something happens which <laughs> I never stops during this entire scene. These animals, right, they're going nuts. They're just chomping everybody or the British soldiers are, are attacking them. And so there's just this like swirl of chaos, right? Soldiers running left, soldiers running right, just everyone in the background always going nuts. And this never stops throughout the whole scene. It took me a while to pick up on it, but I was like, hey, guys, calm down. Like, it's ridiculous, right? You know, at some moment, we would not still all be running around, but the director was like, all right, action, background extras, panic. Like, it's just a sustained background panic that you stop noticing, but it is still very much there. Oh, yeah. These animals, I mean, they're CGI, but whatever, right? There's still a jaguar when it chomps someone's uh, neck. Surprisingly gory jaguar chomp. 
Yeah, as long as the effects are convincing, do whatever you want. And these effects are very convincing. The animals look sharp. Uh, I don't know about that, but there is some moments where a tiger does a jump. It's like, oh, okay. Also, the tiger, I guess, has done some wire fighting training because the tiger leaps. It's like cocaine bear at this point. The tiger. <laughs> it's got some super tiger jumping ab- abilities. But David, do you remember that uh, British guard I described as looking like Jeb Borkins? You bet. So uh, at some point, he grabs Molly by the head and like shoves her, which Beam sees that. And it's like, dude, you just sealed your fate. What was, his, what was his fate, David? It's to be beaten, whipped by metal chain, and partially gored by a stag. Pretty good. Oh, my goodness, David. So it looks like Beam is going to take this thing home, but here comes Raju. And what is he riding? For no fucking reason, a flaming chariot. And David, this flaming chariot begs the question, how is this movie not even half over? This should be the end of the movie, a flaming chariot? Are you kidding me? But the flaming chariot, he like, Raju lets the horses go, and the chariot flips over in a way to where one of the wagon wheels hits beam right in the chest and is this fighting and fight sequence and action is it all just fucking crazy yes but there's a real like inventiveness to it it's kind of like a crazy level of creativity what i mean by that is there was this onion video they're making fun of fast and furious they're like hey we're uh, we're interviewing the director of fast and furious and the director was played by a little kid and like what happens in this movie is like cars go fast and then the one car and the rock and they they go to the moon, you know. And the the joke is is like those movies are so dumb that uh, it, the action sequences are sort of thought of by a kid. Which first of all, Justin Lin is a great action director. He is fucking he rules. But yet, even though this fighting is crazy, there is a creativity to it. Like the visual flow of the flaming chariot toppling over and hitting beam in the chest. It's nuts, but it works. Is it crazy? Yeah, but they thought it through. Yeah, one of one of the few things I knew about this movie before I had watched it was that in the process of writing this movie, they just sort of culled together a bunch of independent scenes where they were just like, what's the coolest thing you can think of? Write it down. We'll make it fit into this movie. So I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is the product of just letting your imagination run wild. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, as much as I, you know, I don't quite care for the Fast and Furious movies, but I do have a heck of an appreciation for what they're throwing out there. Yeah. And there's definitely some moments in the Fast and Furious movies where it's like, like at some moment, The Rock is interrogating someone. I think it might be in Furious 6. And he like throws the guy through a wall. And it's like, what are we doing here? Is this guy like, when did he suddenly become superhuman? Now, during this fight, when the reveal to Beam, the Rogers undercover cop, Beam is heartbroken, right? And at some moment, he punches Raju like 10 feet back. What you're really getting with that crazy punch is emotion. Beam is not punching Raju 10 feet uh, in the air because he's a superhuman badass. He's punching him 10 feet in the air because he's that angry at the betrayal of his best friend. Now, is this sort of visual storytelling consistent throughout the movie? David, relax, because no, it's not. But in this sequence, it works. It's great. I don't know if you remember the song, David, but uh, I believe they call Raju fire and beam is water, correct? That's right. Of course. So at some moment, Raju is holding like a torch that's lit on fire. And by torch, I don't mean the uh, flashlight, David. I mean a stick with a fiery rag. And then Raju, because he busted up a fountain. So beam is now holding a water hose. And it's like, okay, now it's fire versus water. There's too much going on with this movie. <laughs> There's too many themes that are just working. And of course, the background extras, ah, we're still crazy about those tiger just can't get his fill of, of human heads. So we, we, you know, we get to the last little battle before Beam finally surrenders because Governor Scott pretty much pulls a gun to Molly's head and is like, hey, you better surrender or we're going to blow our brains out. 
But before he surrenders, Beam has these three little stones on a, on a belt on his chest. And he grabs them with his fingers and he just Wolverines Raju with them right in the heart. One, how does this not kill Raju? Like you're taking a Wolverine to the chest. Also, more Wolverining in movies, please, because that was really fucking awesome. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand either, except maybe when Raju was poisoned by the snake, Beam, a.k.a. Akhtar, gave him this like holy thread, which I, I don't know the significance of. And they're like, wait, well, what are you doing, Beam? Don't. Don't give away that holy thread. He's like, Raju needs it more than me. And of course, it's that thread that Raju pulls out and he uses it to, uh, like a lasso to capture Beam. And this is another moment where, right when I was like justifying that the 10 foot punch, there's two things right back to back. Like, Beam pulls apart uh, the railing of a balcony that's made out of marble. And then Raju also takes this, you know, this uh, religious thread, which is probably like, I don't know, four feet long. And all of a sudden it's 20 feet long. And I was like, a movie where you're losing me a little. That kind of thing where it's like, oh, we have superpowers or things are magic. If it makes sense in the story, sure. But if it just, you want Roger to be able to capture Beam. And so you come up with a magical way for him to do it. That is a little bit lazy. But yeah, it, it didn't stop me from enjoying the sequence, which was amazing. Yeah, you know, especially when it's, you know, they're trying to convey, oh, isn't that ironic? Or isn't that, you know, you know, isn't that terrible? He gets lassoed by his own thread. So we'll just make the thread 20 feet long in order to make it work. Yeah, it's a little unbelievable, but so is this whole movie. But he does get a a few good slaps in, though, while he's being pulled up uh, with the the thread. Beam gets gets to slap Raju a couple times, which has to be very satisfying, but also has to feel terrible for Raju. David, as the movie takes an intermission, I'm going to invite you, the listener, to also take an intermission. If you're driving, go ahead and close your eyes, take your hands off the wheel, and just whatever happens, happens, baby. But now with the movie, we are back from the break. So back from the break, Raju is awarded the rank of special officer. Good for him. That's going to mean access to the gun room. And we learn via flashback that Raju may be up to something more than being the biggest kiss ass in India. We learn that Raju's father, Venkata, played by AJ Devon, was leading a rebel force against Whitey and conducting weapons training without any weapons. We also learn that Kid Raju is a stone cold marksman. Whitey eventually kills Venkata in action set piece we'll call some fucked up shit. Kid Raju watches his entire family get gunned down, but not before he makes a promise to his father, Venkata, to one day provide weapons for everyone in their rebel army so they can kill those bloody Brits. This is going to be a lot, but uh, it's it's pretty easy. So the reveal of the gun room, that's when it all clicks into place. You know, we're going to start off the second half of the movie by, uh, by reestablishing or probably establishing for the first time. That Raju is actually a hero in this movie. He gets access to the gun room. We put two and two together. He's trying to steal those guns for his army. This is awesome. Uh, and then, you know, we go into a flashback. We're getting a, an extended training sequence of Kid Raju. This is going to have my third markout moment because it's going to have Venkata. It's going to have Raju's dad telling his version of the of the story of how a bullet, you know, how much a bullet is worth. David, are you saying this movie in the middle of a flashback, is going to have a, its own flashback? That's right, Mac. Flashback on flashback on flashback. Hell yeah. Fuck you, Inception. Because <laughs> they're like, hey, can we stop practicing with these wooden weapons, uh, Venkata? When can we actually get some real bullets? We, that would be really great. Then Venkata pulls out the bullet. And he's like, you know, this bullet is worth a lot. And you know who told me that? An English dude. And they flash back, right? As you just said. And it's Governor Scott giving that same fucking speech about uh, the bullet economics. But here's the thing. Same situation where a British soldier is about to kill an 
uh, an innocent Indian about to execute him. And Governor Scott comes in and he's like, hey, the bullet, blah, blah, blah. So don't waste it on these uh, subhumans. What does the British soldier do instead of being like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just let him go. Or maybe I'll cut his throat with a knife. Or what's the other most humane over really fast death I can give this guy? Instead of that, he picks up a sledgehammer and I guess beats him to death. It's like, look, if you want to tell this dude not to waste a bullet, I mean, first of all, you're a piece of shit. Second of all, you got it. These soldiers don't know what to do next. Again, we beat this mom with a fucking Bam Bam staff, and now you're beating this other guy with a sledgehammer? Nah, man, knives. Knives. So here's my takeaway. The British are evil, and they're fucking dumb. <laughs> I think those are pretty solid takeaways for that. We come back from this flashback, or we're kind of going back and forth in this flashback, and we see Raju writing a letter, letter to Sita. He's spilling his guts. You know, he's telling her about about Beam, about his friendship, about how he had to betray Beam. He says, I'm hurting the people I'm fighting for. Now keep in mind, he's been doing this for four fucking years. So either he's been writing that same sentiment for the past four years, or he's just now realizing that, which leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Well, it wasn't until the friendship of Beam broke through his you know, tunnel vision mission here. He just was like, I don't care who I have to hurt to get to the greater good. And now he's like, I don't know if this greater good is worth hurting people like Beam, my ultimate bro Beam. But Governor Scott orders Raju to make an example of Beam with a public flogging and making attendance mandatory for the townspeople. Beam must fall to his knees and publicly atone for his crimes, but we learn that Beam does not bend the knee so easily. Raju whips his friend and then whips him with Lady Buxton's fucked up spiky whip, but Beam keeps it real by never kneeling, breaking into song, and then inspiring the masses to revolt. Damn, dog. What'd you think of this sequence, Mac? Ah, not a fan. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) I don't know, this whipping scene... We're an hour and a half in this movie, and I feel like the charm might be wearing off. Up until this point, I love the -the over-the-topness. Extreme fighting, extreme dancing, extreme friendship, extreme torture. Again, I'm not a veteran viewer of Bollywood films, but this, with the music and what I'm actually watching the events on screen, the juxtaposition was a little too hard for me to swallow. So yeah, I'm not a huge fan of this scene. This is the bad side of the coin of what I was talking about earlier, where they are trying to make it big, you know, like a silent movie where, yeah, the like you said, the fighting is big, the dancing is big, so the torture is going to be big. And, and it, in 2023 or in 2022 in this case, it you can't go that big with torture. But, you know, as a moviegoer, like, like you know, we just talked about, Raju's been doing this for four years. He's stayed deep undercover. He hasn't cracked once. But for me as a viewer, knowing the friendship and knowing beam story you can't break kayfabe here you can't you know if you're raju you can't just say hey listen to me i need you to do this like i I, that would have that would have at least made this very hard this very difficult scene easier to take yeah but again they don't let up on the visual storytelling at some point one of raju's wounds opens and blood pours down onto his face into his eye and then the little blood drop you see sort of becomes a teardrop and as raju goes to wipe it away you notice that there's some other teardrops so as his friend bleeds, he secretly cries for him. He's, he doesn't want to do this. We Here's the thing we know about these two dudes. They can take on anyone, right? Like, I thought these guys were like ultimate badasses. So now it's kind of hard to believe. Shouldn't they just be able to like high five and beat the shit out of everyone? Now it's kind of like a little... Yeah, it, it, you you definitely feel the movie. Not Yeah, I don't know. That's a weird thing to no, say. But I, know but you, like... I know what you mean. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to talk about this nail whip where Catherine, the Lady Buxton, just casually pulls this out and tosses it. First of all, you don't toss that thing. You gently hand. 
But like, do you have a story to tell us about this nail whip, Lady Catherine? Yeah, she's so pissed off. She's like, this is all the whipping? I thought there'd be more blood. I thought there'd be like a pool of blood. Uh, this whipping sucks. And then it's like, all right, cool that you think that, I guess. I don't know. And then she's like, uh, whip him some more, but use this whip. And then, yeah, pulls this thing out, which, again, yeah, does she travel with it? <laughs> is there like a historical thing where it's like, oh, she's known as Lady Whippington? Yeah, Lady Dom. Yeah, but Raju isn't like, uh, oh, that whip is not standard issue whip. I can't do it. No, he's just like, all right. The whipping continues. OCs up next. I mean, look, when you're throwing the curveball of, oh, shit, I have to use this whip, you can go ahead and reveal who you are. But now he he stays in character. God bless him, Raju. God bless Yes, you. but a CGI uh, leaf blows onto Beam's face. He realizes he is a son of the land. And so what does he have to fear from a spiky, fucked up whip when he has the love of his people to <laughs> heal his wounds and to quiet his nerves? But Raju is notified that his next assignment has finally come in. Uh, Raju is to oversee a shipment of guns. Finally, after four years, Raju's plan is falling into place. So Raju decides to devise another plan, this one to save Beam. Raju suggests they move Beam's hanging from the jail to the river in full view of Molly to make him suffer. Seems like a cruel plan, but the governor is super horny for evil plans, and so he agrees. Yeah, he's like, uh, look, you already fucked up once with that uh, whipping where you didn't get Beam to kneel. Uh, why should I trust you, Raju? And Raju's like, let's hang him in front of his little sister. And the governor's like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but then what else does he say? Well, then he's got a tag at the end. He's like, I see you've learned the ways of the Empire, which, look, if you're a Star Wars fan in 2023 and you don't pick up on what the Empire is at this point, like, I know this is an aside from one movie to the next, but I was just like, I wonder if someone was watching this movie going, huh, Empire, like in Star Wars. Yeah, but I mean, seriously, if you're a British uh, citizen, I think you have to turn the movie off at this point and just be like, yep, they got us. They got us. But in the last possible second, the governor catches wise to the plan. Raju successfully manages to free Akhtar, a.k.a. Beam, and Molly. But there's a silly misunderstanding where Beam thinks Raju is trying to kill Molly. What a goof. Uh, Beam has an opportunity to end Raju once and for all, but lets Raju live and flees into the forest with Molly. It's an action set piece we'll call Dueling Escapes, a.k.a. Aren't these guys injured? A.k.a. We get it, they're tough. Uh, what happened, movie? I just, uh, the second half is just uh, stumbling for me. Because there's a moment here where the governor, for some reason, like he <laughs> something about Raju's handshake, he was like, mm, I don't trust it. He realizes that Raju's trying to escape. And the governor's like, faster, faster. He's trying, Raju's going to knock over a tree on us. He doesn't, the governor's car doesn't quite go fast enough. And so the tree clips the back of the governor's car, shooting the governor into the air, where when the governor's in midair, he grabs his gun and then freezes. Like instantly he's like steady. What, on what? Does he have the ability to like stop in the middle of the air? Is he balancing on a now vertical car? Like, and he shoots uh, Raju's Jeep and then almost like a toy where if you press a button, something explodes. <laughs> Like he, uh, he, it was like battle action Roger Jeep. Like he presses the button and then the Roger's Jeep just like flies apart or whatever. And it was just very confusing. And we've crossed the line with this scene from over the top, but inventive to now just over the top, but lazy. We're skirting with McBain territory here. And, and it's coming at the worst time too. Cause like, you, you know, we're in the second half of this movie. We really need momentum to carry us. And now you're getting unbelievable and confusing. It, yeah, it came at the worst time. But Raju found out about Beam and was forced to arrest him. But then he frees Beam. But now Raju's revealed himself and now he's been arrested. I feel like we've kind of already seen this, if you know what I mean. But the movie continues. 
yeah, it's just changing the circumstances a little bit, so we're going to jump ahead. And Beam has been on the run for months, but Whitey is closing in. After cornering Beam and coming close to capturing him, Whitey is thrown off of the scent by Sita, who tells Whitey that they are contaminated with smallpox, causing Whitey to flee. Beam is grateful to Sita, who shares the tale of her beloved Raju, his mission to provide weapons for the rebel army, his heartbreak of having to betray his best friend, and the impending execution in two days, by the way. Now it is Beam's turn to devise a plan. Time to rescue Raju. Meanwhile, we check in on Raju, who's doing just fine in jail. Too fine, thinks Governor Scott, who throws Raju in the hole. David, I thought we agreed to, instead of calling them Whitey, just call them like the British or something. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm like part of Whitey and... Uh... Those are your rules, my man, not Damn mine. It. Okay. So, David, what did you think about all this? Was there anything that stood out for you? Uh, this is going to be my fourth markout moment. The, the sequence where Governor Scott is talking to, I believe it's Edwards at this point, and they're discussing Raju's condition. They're like, oh, we've got him prisoner and we've been starving him. We've been beating him down. There's no way. There's no way his spirit isn't broken. Yeah, in fact, they pass another prisoner and they're like, oh, you mean he's going to be broken like this? And Edwards is like, nah, man, way worse. <laughs> and then what do you hear? They'll hear the... And then you just see him doing arm dips. And it's the best. I loved it. I That moment, you know, those kinds of moments in movies where it's like, you haven't broken me yet. I'm still here. I, I This was great. I loved it. Governor Scott's like, fuck me? Well, fuck you. And then he has his guards like basically break Raju's knees and then throw him in the hole where, I mean, it, like it's the hole. Like he can't even stand up. He can't even extend his legs. And what does Raju immediately start doing? Pull ups on the bars of the hole. Oh, the dude is tough, right? <laughs> it's a dedication I will never have. But at the same time, am I not supposed to think that's hilarious? I mean, that's, I'm, I'm asking, I'm honestly asking you, David. Yeah, no, you're absolutely, yeah. It's, it's like cheering for a puppet show at this point, or it's just like, yay, you know, you're not supposed to take this seriously necessarily, but you're enjoying where the movie is taking you with this ridiculousness. So when we're about to see uh, Beam get captured, and uh, British guards are closing in. Sita goes, uh, uh, yeah, please, you can look around. Just know that these people have smallpox. And the British guards are like, smallpox, eh? Is that your game? It is, is it? Well, oh, smallpox is bad, isn't it? Let's go, gov. And so they leave. And then Beam comes up to Sita and he's like, thank you for saving us. So uh, who has smallpox? And it's like, dude, really? No one has fucking smallpox, you goddamn idiot. Like, I just, it's just a lie to save. Are you not paying attention? It was the only moment where I was like, is, why is Beam dumb all of a sudden? But then Sita tells Beam and company, she's like, yeah, my fiance or whatever is about to get murdered in a couple of days. He's a cop. His name is Raju. <gasps> oh my God, it's Raju. And she's like, no, actually, uh, you don't know the truth about Raju. And then she tells Beam about Raju. But here's the thing. Then we get, we, the audience, learn more about him. So we thought that Raju had to watch his dad get killed. But actually, David, there's more to that scene. How Raju's dad died is that he was like, hey, kid Raju, I'm going to cover myself in dynamite. And then when I get in the middle of these British troops, shoot me in the dynamite and I'll explode. And that's what happens. So instead of uh, Raju having to watch his dad die, we learn that he actively kills his dad. Okay. We already thought he was like a 9.9 .9 on the badass scale, right? And now he's like, what, 9.91? You know, it's a lot of like that thing that we talk about a lot where it's like, oh, we're learning about a character and we're learning about him again. And we're, I mean, it's like we're not learning anything new. Like, we already knew he has a tragic backstory and is a badass. Oh, he's more of a badass and he's more tragic. Great. Stick that the, around the first time. Like, let's keep this thing moving. Three hours. Yeah, I have an appreciation for it because, you know, it's like, you know, you only get one shot to make this movie. So if you have culled every scene of, you know, awesomeness that you can think of, sure, put it in the movie. But, 
you could also save this for a second movie, you know, I, yeah, or, or, or just something else entirely. It did feel a little superfluous by this point. But I'll tell you what, though, it does take a pretty amazing story to make Beam apologize because you got to figure for months he's been carrying around this weight of, I thought Raju was my friend. Uh, he betrayed me. He almost shot Molly. And then to have, you know, a secondhand story told to you and then just have it all come into focus. Pretty goddamn good story. Yeah. I mean, again, though, it, it's it's a character learning something that we, the audience, already know. So it's inherently going to be a little tedious. But I don't know. I mean, the second half is dragging a little bit for me. But Beam's like, I got to rescue Raju. So it is on. So after getting blueprints for the prison from Jenny. Oh, hi, Jenny. It's good to see you again. Beam plans a prison break to rescue Raju. Beam finds Raju in the hole and frees him. Uh, Raju and Beam make up before the two of them embark on a jailbreak in an action set piece we call Two Escapees in a Trench Coat. This is going to be my fifth mark out moment. Guy on top of guy. Two guns going. The friendship. Like the the ultimate gesture of friendship is loading someone else's firearm. Mac, this is going to do it for me. Mark out moment number five. Even though it's ridiculous, there's a visual flow to this movie that's very cool. And it's just got a real, the action's got a real rhythm to it that's just undeniable, even though it's pretty stupid. <laughs> no, but it's fun. <laughs> how does Beam find Raju? Like, how does he find out what hole he's buried in? Some bro tapping. He's like, tap, tap, tap on the ground. And Raju's like, I know that tapping anyway. That's my bro. Beam, what are you doing here? And he's like, I met Sita. She told me everything. And then he puts out his hand, and in his hand, blip, her half of the best friend's necklace, the beef fry, I guess, it drops down right at Raju's eye level. Raja sees it and it's just again it's just like a little visual flow there like beep boop bop the storytelling in this movie is great um so but he was talking when beam is talking to jenny he suddenly knows how to speak english great speaking of greats how does beam get raju out of this hole i mean how's he gonna get him out of this uh thing that's sealed with an iron you know door or whatever oh he's just gonna rip off the iron door because at this point who gives a shit however Raju riding beam as the classic two kids in a trench coat maneuver laying waste to everyone. Yeah, it was super fun. Uh, I definitely laughed. But again, you mentioned earlier about save some of it for the second movie. This feels a little episodic. Like I just kind of wishing it was at this moment. I don't know how long we are into the movie, but I'm a little worn out, but it's such a great scene. I just feel like, you know, this would be cool if it was like episode four of this. And I don't know if that's a problem or not. Because again, you know, with streaming, it's changing how the way we watch movies. When I watched Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's four hours long. I watched it over four nights. And I had no problem with it. So if I watch this movie, if I, I actually took a break during intermission, like left and did some stuff and came back, it's interesting. Movies this long and streaming, I don't have an answer to how you necessarily should watch them or, or if that's a problem. It's something that's being introduced by watching a Bollywood or a Tollywood movie for the first time is that, you know, these movies generally do run long because the thought is, hey, you're paying money to see this, you know, to see this entertainment. We're going to entertain the hell out of you. We're going to throw music in there. We're going to throw action sequences and romance. We're going to overstuff this movie into a three or four hour runtime. And the audiences have been have been conditioned to to be used to it. It's something new to us, so it's kind of it's it's hitting a little weird. It's it's a little overstuffed. It feels like, but uh, maybe it's just something it takes getting used to. You know, what, David, I I gotta say that tracks. I I bet you're right. I mean, again, the sequence was fun. It was ridiculous at this point. Why doesn't Beam just develop mutant hydrokinesis and just drown the entire British army? Because you know what, he's unstoppable, right? <laughs> By this point, yeah, we've seen enough of this. He should have some powers. But Raju and Beam escape into the forest, and Governor Scott has had enough. He orders the deployment of every special forces officer available to catch these two guys. Meanwhile, the Brits follow them into the woods 
but Raju and Beam are ready for them with arrows and booby traps. A guy even gets motorcycled. Beam also stabs Edwards with a spear. Raju saves the best kill for last, a grenade shot by an arrow to explode a motorcycle headed for the explosives room of the palace. The palace comes tumbling down and Governor Scott has been dealt a crushing blow. Mac? These are going to be mark-out moments six and seven for me. I'm, I'm separating them in, into two separate parts. One of them is going to be, uh, it's a moment in the, the forest battle where Raju has, has has transformed. He has become his hero self. He's got, a, he's got a bow and he's got a quiver of arrows and he's just firing them at everybody. Boom, boom, boom. He fires one arrow into a tree. He narrowly misses this guy's eyeball and the guy just breathes a sigh of relief. So what does Raju do? Kicks the arrow into the guy's ear. Markout moment number six for me. And then markout moment number seven for me is just going to be the the explosion of the palace. The culmination of we finally got the lion. You know, they even say, let's let's take down the big guy. And the way they did it was just so fucking over the top. It was so ridiculous. I marked out. I fell for it. So they see a statue of, I believe, Rama. I could could be wrong about that. And the statue has a working bow and arrow, which, <laughs> look, you know, I, I bet those Southerners were probably sticking real muskets in the, uh, those you know, Robert E. Lee statues. But it, it, it fully surprised me. <laughs> the action here, it really has a real fuck it quality to it. Oh, there's motorcycles? Okay, well, I guess Beam will pick up a motorcycle and use it like a club because they're superhumans at this point. Saying fuck it, it's sometimes fun, but here it just feels a little lazy. Like it just, they're trying to top themselves after an amazing two and a half hours or whatever of film. And so they kind of just like run out of a uh, non-superhuman way to do it, I guess. And the action here is like nuts. Like at some point, previously the nuts action, you know, with when the jungle attack, it's over the top, but there's like an element of like outsmarting the enemy here. Like, yeah, we're doing crazy stuff, but it's because we had an advantage in cleverness. Here, it's like, it's not like the enemy doesn't see this coming. It's just they can't stop them because they're superhumans. At some point, the general's going to shoot Raju and Beam. Then Raju pulls out a bullet. And then he, he says a little portion of the, do you know what this bullet is worth? Kind of speech to throw right back in the general's face. But honestly, at this point, I 100% was fully expecting Raju to just throw the bullet at him hotshot style instead of even putting him in <laughs> the gun. He's like, at this point, I could just throw a bullet and kill you because I'm so strong. I, I get the markout moments because it seems awesome. But at this point, I stopped caring, to be honest with you. I I'm, with I'm with you. I get that. I think I went another way with it. With the previous sequence where Beam grabs the grate and rips it out with his own bare hands. It's coming late enough into the movie to where I've I've sort of let the movie build the tall tale. And this is the culmination of building that tall tale. It's almost like leveling up in a video game. So by the time you reach the boss level, you have acquired these skills and you get a chance to finally show them off. I, I was I hear what you're saying about the ridiculous especially he picked up a fucking motorcycle. That's like that's what the Gorch would do. You know, it's like why not just have a chain fight or a belt whip? But I was okay with it. I I, I bought it. Uh so beam. True to his word, returns Raju to Sita. Raju is also true to his word and brings guns for everyone. There's a big song and dance that tells history like an entertaining version of Hamilton. And that is going to be the end of our movie. Yeah, David, again, I'm not up on Indian history. So maybe these political figures are problematic or maybe like in Hamilton, they're just rapping slave owners. At the end of the movie, because Raju's dressed a little bit more uh, badass, I guess. He's got no shirt, bright red pants. Raju thinks, beam, he's like, Thank you for giving me these clothes, making me, reminding me of, of who I am or something, which, again, this is the culmination of a three-hour movie. <laughs> what does he have to compliment to his friend who they've just been through hell and back? He's like, hey, man, thanks for the sick clothing suggestion. I, that was really tight of you, bro. But David, this, this dancing at the end, look, you can't tell me 
then instead of the nine endings that Lord of the Rings Return of the King had, if instead they just wrapped it up with a badass dance number, that that wouldn't have been better. You're absolutely right. I would have loved that. Yeah, that, that should be the way to tie up a lot of, of movies that don't know how to wrap up. It's a world I don't get, David, but it's a world I want to see more of. Uh, and I just hope I'm not uh, propagating some sort of uh, hateful uh, narrative. And David, that hand-wringing guilt is going to be the end of our movie. We made it through, Mac. We, I think we did okay. Yeah, I think so too. That movie was a lot of fun. How many markout moments did you have, David? I had seven. I had a lot. I, I fell for the parts I was supposed to fall for. Uh, yeah, seven. How about you? I had three. I had a hot start, but this movie to me was really the tale of two halves. Just an unbelievable first half and the second half. A little too many like story beats we had already hit. A little just action that kind of went off the rails and not in a great way for me. But three is a respectable number, and I definitely enjoyed this movie. Dave, another question. Is this someone's favorite movie? Absolutely. If not already, it's a matter of time. I think this should be more people's favorite movie. If not that... I, I'm very encouraged by the amount of additional research this movie is going to to inspire. You know, I think, you know, this is my first entry into into uh, Indian filmmaking, and I'm excited to to learn more about the story behind this and excited to to see more of the stuff that the cast was in. Uh, yeah, this is a great starting off point. What about you? Yeah, I think it's definitely someone's favorite movie because it's a really fun movie. All right, David, time for punch-ups. David, we're the ultimate script doctors. Everybody knows that. It feels stupid to even say it. How would you punch up this movie? I've got one and a half. The half occurred to me while we were uh, recording this. I'd like to see more Jenny. Or, you know, you, you made mention of, of, a, of a thought earlier where it would have been nice to see Jenny grow, to meet Beam halfway. I'm learning about your culture. I'm learning about your language. At least you have one white character displaying growth, you know, displaying compassion in a way that we would like to see from the white characters. Not the biggest thing in the world. You know, we we hardly really made mention of her throughout this episode, but I, I, that's something I would have liked to have seen. But in a movie that really doesn't need a lot of fixes, the one thing that stuck out to me is when Beam goes to break Raju out of prison, it sure would have been nice to have Thin Lizzy's jailbreak play there. It doesn't fit with the time period, but I don't give a shit. We're making a badass movie, and what's more badass than Thin Lizzy's jailbreak? Nothing, baby. Tonight there's going to be a jailbreak. Somewhere in this town. David, I don't know if I have any punch-ups for this because here's here's the most confusing part about this movie, David. Uh, I spent a large portion of my life, David, as a male age 18 to 34, right? And so most of these action movies were made for me, right? I'm their target audience. I'm not the target audience of this movie, David. And when, like most fragile white men in this country, when things aren't catered to me, I'm going to be quite toxic about it. <laughs> but no, David, this movie's not, it's not for me. And so I kind of don't feel like I understand this movie enough to have a punch-up about it. There is one thing, David. Now, I don't know a lot, but I, I think, if, if I'm correct, that Bollywood cinema is traditionally very conservative. And so you'll notice there's not even a single smooch in this film. So my only punch-up, David, we've seen some extreme action. We've seen some extreme dancing, some songs, some friendship. We need to see some fucking, oh my God, David, just some bare, just blood-gorged genitals just smashing against each other. I just think that would be... Just what the cherry on top to this this festival of life that is rrr, rrr, what it really just needs. You know what I mean? The fourth R is for squirting. You bet I know what you mean. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, David. Uh, 
Squirt your way on in here to the Punch Mountain Video Store. As you all know, it's an all-action movie video store, David, and we've splurged. There's another R for you, and gotten three copies of this movie. It's all action, David, so what subsections of the action movie store would you stock this film in? Okay, the first one's going to go in Bollywood action, Tollywood action. Uh, you know, forgive me for lumping them in together. I, I'm, I'm ignorant to it, but for now, let's lump them in together. Uh, second one's going to go into the Gonzo action. This one's going to go behind the beaded curtain. Uh, this one's, you know, got some wild stuff. Um, third one's where I falter. Epic action? I don't know, because this is, you know, as unfamiliar as I am with the story behind it or, you know, the the cultural ramifications of the movie itself, it's an epic. It's an epic in the style of, it, when I was watching it, it reminded me of a cross between Gone with the Wind and Drunken Master. Hmm. And, you know... I, I think epic would, would be a way to describe this movie. I think epic action is a good category. I might also stick it in action buddies, you know? Mm. God damn it. Yeah, this is... Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but yeah, I, I think you're spot on about right that. Right next to Tango and Cash, you got about... Okay, David, it's time for the ultimate question. Where should this movie fall on the Punch Mountain rankings, the definitive rankings of action movies? Right now we got 15 movies that have been ranked the top four Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Raid 2, The Matrix, and Prey. And of course, at the bottom, not even on Punch Mountain, but at the uh, parking lot attendance, uh, uh, little uh, attendant house. I don't know what you call that thing. <laughs> the, yeah, the booth. The gate. Yeah, the, the booth. Yeah. Gate booth. Yeah, that's where Chappie is currently. Chappie. All right, David, where would you stick it on Punch Mountain? Toward the top. It's not going to break the you know the triumvirate that we have up there. I think the the thing that hurts this movie on the ranking is also the thing that helps it. And I'll explain what I mean. This movie is not a wall-to-wall -wall action movie. You know, it's, you know, if you have musical numbers, plural, it's not going to be a wall-to-wall -wall action movie. So I'm not quite sure it, you know, it's going to fight its way to the top very much. But at the same time, the fact that this movie was as positive as it was, or I guess as, as you know, the fact that the one of the prevailing themes of this movie is friendship and in a, a non-toxic way. It's not like a friendship like in Lethal Weapon where it's sort of adversarial and they're needling each other, but they come together in the third act. No, these guys are friends through and through. And I think it's admirable to make an action movie that's so positive. Yeah, toward the top, I, I want this movie to get recognition. I don't I don't think it belongs that high at the, at the top because of its issues. Well, I would say that, yeah. I mean, this movie almost like bullies its way to the top. It's just got so much. It's it's hard to deny it. But I, I think there's other movies there which are a little bit more focused. I think that something that hurts this movie is because it's so over the top. It's characters, even though the actors did a great job, you know, there's so much fun to watch. I don't care about them as much as movies that are, their tone is a little bit more serious. So I, I would put it towards the top, but yeah, I don't think it's cracking the top three. Oh my goodness, David. Cracking, the rocks are cracking off the mountain. And finally, the position of RRR is being revealed. And it is Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Raid 2 The Matrix Prey, RRR, Hard Target, Dread the Rock Cliffhanger, The Driver Pitch Black, Charlie's Angels 2019, Passenger 57 Deadly Prey, Poseidon Adventure, and then good old Chappie. Parkins on the left. Solid, solid position. I, I think Prey is a more focused and tighter movie. I think the action in RRR is uh, is wilder than Hard Target. I'm, I'm good with this. David, do you hear that uh, horn? Oh, I do. That's the horn calling us to action. 
Uh, on this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Southern Poverty Law Center. Led by a strong team of civil rights lawyers, the SPLC is a catalyst for racial justice in the South and beyond working in partnership with communities to dismantle white supremacy, strengthen intersectional movements, and advance the human rights of all people. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Also, for every review we get on iTunes, we'll add $1 to our donation, up to a certain amount, obviously, in case any bots are out there waiting to bankrupt us. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. For more information on the Southern Poverty Law Center or to donate directly to them, visit splcenter.org. And folks, that'll do it for another episode of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain. Or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week from 1967 and directed by Robert Aldrich, it's The Dirty Dozen. We'll see you next week. Bye.